I'm going to warn you. So this thing, I've had, like my immune system is just like shot right now. My wife brought this thing from the hospital last week, and I caught something else. I know, I'm always sick. Just whatever. So last night, I took this cold medicine that would dry me out so I could sleep. And right about 8 o'clock this morning, it stopped working. And so I'm like, every 10 words, I'm like, ah. And so someone gave me, and everything makes me sleepy. I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, like day quote, whatever. So someone gave me something this morning to help dry me back out. I might just fall asleep on the man, you guys in the middle of this, because, wow. Talk about being doped up. See, they can be really fun or really bad this morning. We'll see how this goes. Uh, welcome to Element. <laughs> if you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live in the app, and it'll bring us up by GPS on your smartphone. Or if you have an Android, for some reason, the live GPS thing isn't working correctly. Type 93455 or 58 or 54, and you'll get it by zip code, and you get all the sermon notes and verses and all that stuff with it. Uh, two things. Uh, this week, we are changing all of our decorations out for Christmas decorations. So, you know, say goodbye to the tent, and hello to Christmas, and we'll see what that looks like when we're done. Uh, if you would like to help decorate or do things like that, and you have some time this week, sign up at the Welcome Center in the back and just let them know. They'll get a hold of you whenever your schedule's available and give you some things to do, because there's a lot of decorating that goes on for Christmas, because Christmas is awesome. And the second thing... And the second thing is this. Look. Look. I'm on cold medicine, okay? Every little thing, I'm going to be like... We have Hobbit tickets, all right? We have Hobbit tickets. So what we have done is we rented out an entire movie theater to go watch The Hobbit. We look from Santa Barbara to like San Luis Obispo. Everybody's only showing this thing in 3D. We tried to find a 2D theater, okay? Only in 3D. So instead of tickets being 11, they're 15. It's four more dollars. Don't go to McDonald's today. You'll be fine. All right? Go buy your tickets for The Hobbit. Uh, we're going to have a whole lot of fun stuff going on with it. We, I also want you to do, and this isn't just a way to get you to buy more tickets so I don't get in trouble with our board, but uh, <laughs> buy one for your neighbor. I mean, if your neighbor's like in, into that kind of thing, you know, buy one for them and invite them to come with you. I mean, this is the kind of thing that you can actually invite people to who would never step foot inside of a church building. Say, hey, come with me. We're going to watch The Hobbits in 3D. You get really cool glasses. You can wear them outside when you're done and be weird. You know, so buy a ticket for them. Invite them to come with you. See, see if they want to bring the whole family. Don't buy them for the whole family. You probably can't afford that. But, you know, go pick them up. They're in the back. Uh, it starts at 5 o'clock uh, Sunday the 16th. It is opening weekend. Only got a couple weeks to get you guys to buy these things before I get in a whole lot of trouble. So uh, go pick one up, buy them. Uh, we're gonna, it starts at 5. I want you guys to be there about 4.30. We're going to do a film and theology thing beforehand, hand out some prizes. We're actually going to give away uh, the first trilogy on Blu-ray. Oh, that's the costume ticket right there, right? So there you go. Go get a ticket, show up. It'll be an awful lot of fun. Hobbit tickets. Go see The Hobbit with us. I don't think you get free popcorn. Not allowed to take in any external food or drink. But I do sneak in milk duds every time. Well, seriously. I d Sorry, off subject again. Woo, squirrel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, five bucks and you get this tiny little thing of milk duds. I got this gigantic packet. Like, it doesn't even fit in your pocket. That's what I bring and eat. All right. Enough said. Why don't you stay on me reading the God's word? You can blame Michelle Newman for the cough medicine. 
So Genesis 32, verse 27, 28, and it says, And he, that's God, said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who trust you. Uh, people who know that you've created us to be a certain way as a certain type of people, and we would actually live that and honor you with the lives that we live, not just before you, but for everybody else around us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in Genesis. This is week 43. I have no idea why I tell you what week we are in every week, except maybe to keep you on track where we are. I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving, and because you probably are full of turkey and a little sleepy like I am, I'm going to start by giving you a story this morning. So you can relax a little bit, maybe like five or ten minutes, and listen to my story. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I purchased my third, my third dirt bike. This is a motorcycle, for those of you who don't know what a dirt bike is. I bought it with my own money. I'd owned two previous motorcycles before this. Uh, one was handed down to me. Another one my mom purchased for me because, yes, she was awesome. She bought me a motorcycle. And then this one I actually purchased on my own. This motorcycle was a Honda CR250. It was great. It was red. It was shiny. It was loud. I was hoping it was going to be fast, just waiting for me to do something stupid on it, which, lo and behold, that day had finally come, and it was like a week after I bought it. So I, I was storing this motorcycle in my uncle's garage because the, the Kickstarter gear was actually stripped, and so my friend was clearing out his garage so we could take it over there and pull apart the transmission and replace that gear so that we could start riding it around and doing more stupid stuff with it. So my friend called me. Hey, my mom said the garage is clear. You can bring it over. I'm like, great. I go to my uncle's house. I grab this motorcycle. I go pushing it down the street, and, you know, the start, she pushed it. And as while my uncle was yelling, don't ride it on the street. You're going to get pulled over. The cops don't like that. Whatever. Well, I'm going to take off, right? Okay. So uh, my friend lived about a half mile away. I'm driving down back streets. It's next to dusk. So hopefully no one sees me. I get onto my friend's street. I think I'm home free, and this van's driving this other way. I think they see me because they slow down. Then they pull right in front of me. So I got a 100-foot-long skid. I lay it down underneath the van. I hop up. This little kid sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm like, boom. Hi. At that moment, this marshal comes pulling around the corner, lights and siren and just blaring, coming after me. He gets out of the car. He starts yelling at me, I was chasing you for blocks. You were trying to get away. I'm like, I swear, dude, I never even saw you once. He's like, yeah, right. I mean, would you believe me, right? (laughs) Yes, you would believe me. He didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. You know, in the end, I saw so 16 years old. I had just got my driver's license. And in one night, I got three tickets and an accident on my record, all without ever being in a car. My insurance company loved me a lot. So anyway, uh, right after this, my, my dad decided he was going to give me his old pickup truck. This is a truck I learned how to drive in when I was like 10 years old. There's more rust than metal holding it together, but that's the truck that he was going to give me. And I was going to be very excited because I was going to actually have my own car. But before the truck ever came into my possession, my mom and my stepdad and my dad had all these long conversations with me about how I was never supposed to get into trouble ever again, never get another ticket because, you know, this is all very well and good in their mind of the motorcycle incident from two weeks before, and so I promised I would never do anything bad again. I would get good grades in school. Uh, I would obey all the rules of the road. You know, all these things because I could have my own car because, you know, having your own car instantly makes you more responsible. Right. Okay. 
So a little bit of time goes by. I'm doing my best to stay out of trouble at school, or at least do my best not to get caught when I get in trouble at school. So it's a warm spring day. My friends and I decide we don't really want to be in class. So we decided we're going to cut school. I have a car, so I'm going to drive. I buck out of my parking spot in, in my newly acquired pickup truck, put it in first gear, and as soon as I do, the engine goes, whoa! Just, I'm like, what's going on? And then what happens is, in, especially in older cars, there's these, there's these heater hoses, and they run in into the center of your car, hit a thing called a heater core. A heater core blows air through it and that's what makes the inside of your car warm well this heater hose split and so wah splits boom we get showered with antifreeze like i throw it in neutral turn off the key we all go piling out of the car just at that moment a teacher walks up what do you guys do that's what i said right (laughs) what are you guys doing my two friends run away I'm like, ah, you know, I'm like, well, my truck blew up and it bleeds green and it's all over me, so I don't know what to do. And he didn't think that was funny, but he helped me push it into a parking spot. And then he looks at me and he says, he says, what's your name? Now, I knew I could not get in trouble again because my mom would end me. All right. So I said, Steve Johnson. (laughs) That's not my name, by the way, if you don't know. Okay. (laughs) I said, Steve Johnson. He looks at me, he goes, well, Steve, we'll be talking again. And he walked away. And I'm like, well, that's just weird. He just walked away. So two weeks later, you know, I didn't get in trouble, fixed the heater core. My friends and I were cutting class again, pulling out of the parking lot again, same truck again, getting ready to pull out, and all of a sudden, who walks up and stops us on the way out? Same teacher again. So I stop the car, my friends pile out and run away <laughs> again. He looks at me and he says, and he says, that's it, what's your name? And I, I you know, I wasn't going to lie, so I said, Steve Johnson. <laughs> and he goes, I looked, there's no Steve Johnson that goes to this school. Now, my first response is, really? Well, there's a thousand kids that go to this school. No one who has a generic name like Steve Johnson? I mean, that's like, you know, John Smith, nobody. Really? Really? I didn't say that, though. What I said was, well, here's my student ID card. And I, went, oh, I lost my wallet. And he believed me. What is up with that? And he goes, well, we'll be talking again, Steve. And I go, oh, okay. I never saw him again the whole year. Now, in God's sense of justice and irony, the very next year, who do I have for math? <laughs> that teacher. <laughs> and he, and he, made it, he made it very clear that he remembered who I was so the very first time that he and I got into any little, not that I ever argued with the teacher, but he got into anything in one of his classes. He goes, boom, he took me to the principal's office, explained the whole story. It was terrible. My mom never found out about it, by the way. This morning in first service, was the first time she actually heard the story. She's like, What? <laughs> Many years removed, you can't ground me anymore. I'm, uh, I'm okay. Now, I mean, because this teacher totally remembered who I was. Now, open your Bibles to Genesis 27. This is all going to make sense in a little bit. Growing up, I'll tell you, I have never really liked my own name. But more importantly, I've never really liked me. I've always wanted to be something different. And this is a recurring theme throughout Genesis that nobody wants to be who God actually made them to be. If you look in the, in the Hebrew, when you look today, we look at Jacob and Esau. You know, Jacob, his name means trickster. Jacob didn't like his name. Look at Esau. Esau's like red and hairy. He definitely doesn't like his name. It seems like most anybody doesn't really like their name or who they are. We want to be somebody else. I have thought for a long time about what I would change my name to if I could. I try to think of a name that is strong and sounds dignified, possesses leadership qualities that can magically transform me into the person I really want to be, but I'm not. And in case you're wondering, that name is not Steve Johnson. And if your name is Steve Johnson, sorry. You know? <laughs> But it's not my name either, quite, quite honestly. I don't think anyone's name is actually that name apart from who Christ is in us. But it doesn't stop me from thinking that maybe that name could be out there somewhere, or that person could be out there somewhere. If I could just find it and reach it, then all my troubles can be solved. 
There's a recent academic study that was done that showed people make broad assumptions based on people's first names. If you have a name like James or Elizabeth, you are assumed to be more successful. If you have a name like Jack or Lucy, you're thought to be more lucky. If you have a name like Sophie or Ryan, you're thought to be attractive. Being as how I have none of those names, I do not feel attractive, successful, or lucky. They interviewed 6,500 people in this study, and at the end, it ends like this. The professor advised parents to play it safe when naming their children. See, now that's not a whole lot of pressure, right? You just don't name your kid anything that somebody else isn't going to like, and they're going to be well-adjusted and and happy kids. Even all the way back in ancient Greece, they would do this. You had this whole set of aristocrats, and they gave themselves the name the Aristoi. And it means the best. As opposed to everybody else that they didn't like, they would call the cacoi, which meant the worst or the craven. It must be very nice to walk around and call yourself the best while you call everybody else the worst in an effort to make yourself feel better. And this idea of changing names, of trying to be somebody we aren't and attempt to become something we hope for is not new in the world. It's not new for Steve Johnson. It's not new for biblical characters. <clears throat> and that's what happens in Genesis today. Now, so far, what you see is God has promised a divine blessing would go to Jacob, that is Isaac's second son. Jacob has, has tried to cheat his brother out of this blessing two weeks ago. You saw this because Jacob didn't trust that God could really get the job done. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, she doesn't think that God can get it done either. So she hatches a plan with the help of Jacob to get this full blessing on their own. And the major part of how they got this relied on Jacob lying about his name and pretending to be somebody that he was not. So Genesis 27, verse 1, this is how we go. When Isaac was old and his eyes were, were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, most commentators believe that Isaac's blindness here is temporary, but he thought it was permanent. He thought he was about to die. And so it was probably some environmental aspect. Maybe he drank too much moonshine or something because they do live like hillbillies, you know, so you just just don't know. They didn't think he was close to death. Now, Isaac will actually live many, many, many years after this moment. And so when the text reads his eyes were so were, were too dim, what it really in Hebrew has this connotations that the reality is he didn't see how unworthy Esau was to receive the blessing. His eyes were too dim to see the reality that was around him. Now I often find certain things funny in scriptures that others do not. <clears throat> like in this verse, it makes me laugh that Isaac told his son to bring him some delicious food. I mean, seriously, like bring me some nasty food. That's what I want. No, we don't say that, right? Bring me some d- delicious food. The Jewish Bible translates it as, you know, make it tasty the way I like it. So if you're trying to circumvent, you know, divine order, is it important to you that the food is tasty? Apparently so. That's, that's an important thing. So Jacob's mother, she is eavesdropping. She catches the conversation. She goes into panic mode. She grabs Jacob. Verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game. Prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies now at this point we know what god has told isaac to do you're to give the blessing to jacob now jacob is clearly in the wrong uh, here and what he's about to do but isaac is also clearly in the wrong but instead of jacob and his mother seeking god out or confronting the sin they hatch a plan on their own to get their blessing on their own now i know we read this and we think how sad why can't anybody just trust god when god says something but i'll tell you we are the exact same way 
Jeremiah 29.11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, these words are written to the nation of Israel specifically. But if you read through the New Testament, you understand that God knows the good his people need. And yet we continue to be a people who think we know how to do our lives better than God, and we jack it up every time. As an example, God says you're supposed to forgive those around you that, that hurt you. You're supposed to forgive them. And yet we hold anger and bitterness inside, and we don't pray the best for these people. We pray that God would smite them. You know, we, we should be praying good things to come into their lives so they'd repent and they would change. We, a lot of times, will rush into relationships thinking, well, this must be the one, knowing full well that they're going to pull you further away from God rather than closer to him. We constantly seek, in our, seek our own form of blessing by going into debt, by eating too much, by drinking too much, by neglecting our family, our friends, or our children, or even our own souls because we will not wait for God to give us his blessing and his timing. We want it now. See, we are exactly like Isaac and Esau and Jacob and Rebekah. And Jacob is a little afraid of the plan falling apart, his father finding out, not because of the lie, but because he just simply doesn't want to get caught. A lot like Steve Johnson, right? Verse 11, but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. If you remember, he resembles a Yeti or a Sasquatch, big red Chewbacca. I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking. This is the word for tricking. It's a play on Jacob's name. I'll seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, and this is important, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him. I like that. I'd appear to be. Really? You wouldn't appear to be. You would be tricking him in the midst of this. But he still does it. And again, this is like so many of us who we know something is wrong, but we do it anyway. And many times we'll tell our friends about it and we'll laugh about it. Rebecca tells Jacob not to worry about it. She's not teaching her son to obey and listen to God. She's teaching her son to obey her. And her instructions are disobey God, lie, and listen to me. Verse 14, so he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young, young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. What must Esau feel like, really? And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Now, Jacob is between 25 and 40 years old at this point. We're not really sure. And so if you are between 25 and 40 and your mom still dresses you, you have major issues. All right? So Jacob is dressed, covered, ready. His mother hands him the delicious food. She sends him in to his father. There's a lot of tension in the narrative in the Hebrew at this point because no matter what happens at this point, whether Jacob succeeds, whether Jacob gets caught, whether Esau gets the blessing, none of it is good. It is all terribly wrong. Verse 18, so he went into his father and said, my father, and he, his father said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Doesn't sound like my son. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Jacob is a liar. He is claiming to be someone he is not. It's like, hey, I'm Steve Johnson. I have done as you have told me. Lie. Now sit up and eat of my game. Lie. It's not his game. That your soul may bless me. I'm going to lie. I'm going to change my name. I'll claim to be something I am not in order to circumvent God and try to get something I think I need. And not only does Jacob lie about himself and his name, he also drags God into his lie. Look at this. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Because that was really fast. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. The Lord your God grant. He goes all God talk, right? I mean, seriously, when we sin, we willingly take our lives in our own hands and careen it off of the rails. We often try to drag God into our mess and blame him for it when it's us. 
I mean, I have, I have a friend who was in college a couple years ago. She had a roommate who claimed that she was a follower of Jesus. This roommate had been talking about how she was thinking about having sex with her boyfriend, you know, and not waiting for God's design, which we call marriage. Okay, good. Just so you got that word. That's a good word. Okay, over Christmas vacation, this girl flies home to visit, you know, her boyfriend and her family, and she gets home, and it's snowing in her hometown when she gets off the plane. It never snows in her hometown, so this was clearly a sign from God that she was supposed to have sex with her boyfriend. Right? I mean, she literally believed that snow was a way for God to tell her to do something that God had previously already told everybody not to do. Why must we drag God into our willing disobedience? We should be a people who simply own up to our sin when we do it and say, this was sin, it was wrong, God was not involved in the midst of this. I mean, much evil has been done in the world by people claiming God's involved in something he would never condone of. Crusades and burning witches and protests and riots and certain wars, all the way down to premarital sex and cutting class and lying. All because man must bring God into our own mess and claim it was his idea. And it's not. God can bring redemption, but the whole mess is you and me. Now, Isaac isn't as dumb as Jacob and Rebekah hope he is. Verse 21. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Got to remember, Jacob's wearing an Esau suit, right? We call this goat skin. His dad's like, hmm, feels like Esau. Wow, okay. I can't tell the between a goat and my son. <laughs> wow. Now, if you're like me, this starts to get very sad in the text because this is Jake, or Isaac right now. He, you know, he's blind. He can't tell what's going on. Kind of like someone with, with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. They start to forget things. I want to remember. And, it, and it's, it's really very sad in the text. You can almost hear the pleading in Isaac's voice and what he says next. Verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? I mean, that's, that's a plea right there. That's impending loss. I mean, I don't know if Jacob struggles with that at all when he hears that question. You know, he's trying to be someone he's not. Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Lie. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you now if two weeks ago what you notice is he tricked uh, jacob tricks his brother out of this birthright over a meal here he tricks his father again over another meal it's all supposed to fit together so we understand what's going on what's also very interesting in this is that before isaac give jacob the blessing he says come here my son and kiss me and isaac gets jacob close enough to smell him and then jacob betrays his father with a kiss now, do you know one of the connotations of the word worship means to turn towards or to kiss towards? It seems that everything Jacob does, we do in our relationship with Jesus as well. We're constantly saying and acting like, oh, we're worshiping Jesus, but we never really do so. As Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, as Jacob betrays his father with a kiss, we betray God every day while claiming we worship him and not really living for him. Our fingerprints are all over this story. Look what happens next, verse 30. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, My father, arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Right here, this is Isaac starting to get it. The blessing is going to go where God wants it to go and not where Isaac wants to push it towards. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, which is a play on Jacob's name again, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, which he didn't really take away his birthright. He sold it for a bowl of nasty soup and behold now he has taken away my blessing then he said have you not reserved a blessing for me isaac answered and said to esau behold i have made him lord over you and all of his brothers and i have given to him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him what then can i do for you my son esau said to his father have you but one blessing my father bless me even also O my father and esau lifted up his voice and wept now if you're isaac how are you feeling at this moment they're just torn apart inside, right? Your, your son is crying before you because somebody else came and tricked you out of this blessing. But you're beginning to understand that God has certain plans and designs. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, he tries to give him a blessing. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. What is really sad about all of this is that in the midst of it, everyone's trying to seek their own blessing, what they can get out of their father, what they can get out of God, not actually seeking God first himself and trusting God for what he longs to bring into their lives. This is very sad. Now, the blessing, you'll see that Jacob wanted the thing he changed his name to claim. This would have been his without the lie. God said it would be hid. God had promised it. But because he does it in his own way, not trusting God, trying to do it in his own timing, he will now spend the next 20-plus years running for his life, hiding, unable to go home. He creates major strife in his home. Before you think Esau is just clean as the wind-driven snow, starting in verse 41. Now, Isaac hated Jacob. Understandable. Because of the blessing of which his father had blessed him, and Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, meaning he thinks his dad is about to die, his dad thinks he's going to die, and so as soon as that happens, then I will kill my brother Jacob. That'll fix it. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. And he can do it because he's a Sasquatch. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Again, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you. And he forgets, and I love this, and he forgets what you have done to him. What did she say in the beginning? Oh, if anything happens, let it all come upon me. Now she's like, you better run away because he's angry. <laughs> I mean, seriously, what's up? Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you, of both in one day? Then because there's not enough strife, verse 46, Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. This is Esau's wives and a bunch of Hittite women around. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Oh, 
What am I going to do? Right? That's a little melodramatic. She's come a long way from getting water for camels at this point. Chapter 28, verse 1. So, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women because your mom is crazy right now. Arise, go to Paddan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you. And now he gives him the real blessing. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now, before you forget what happened to Esau in the midst of this, now Isaac saw that now Esau saw that I, that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, "You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women." Well, what kind of wives does Esau have? Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael, who is his dad's half-brother, and took as his wife, besides the wife he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabioah. What you just saw right there is that Esau is not satisfied with his name either. Esau is not satisfied with who he is. Esau wants to be Jacob. Jacob wants to be Esau. And nobody wants to be who God made them to be. At this point, Jacob will run from here to his uncle Laban's house. He, will, he, gets, he falls in love. He gets tricked into 14 years of slave labor. He has business ventures in which he is constantly lied to. And he's constantly taken advantage of by those he's supposed to be able to trust. Hmm, sound familiar? Yeah. He has children that go behind his back and do things he would never approve of. Hmm, sound familiar? Yes. All the things in his life come full circle to the point where he begins to realize he's supposed to trust God and not himself. In the end, he realizes that the more he trusts in himself, the worse things get. And the more he trusts in Jesus, the better things are. He begins to understand that his life, the actions of his children, the circumstances he finds himself in are the results of how he has lived his life up to this certain point. The chickens come home to roost. But what you will also see is that God will use Jacob's running his rebellion, his lies, his trickery, all of these things to make him into the man he intends for him to be. And it is a long process. We'll look at this over the course of the next month. It's a long process. But what eventually happens is you get to the end of the first five books of the Bible, this thing called the Torah, and you get to this book called Joshua. When you hit Joshua, the nation of Israel actually starts to take off. And what you have to also understand in the midst of this, in, in the very beginning of the verse that we read is a couple chapters later, and God goes to Jacob and he says, what is your name? And Jacob finally fesses up and says, my name is Jacob. And God says, okay, now you're going to be Israel. And he turns his descendants into this nation that you see in the book of Joshua. At the end of the book of Joshua, there's been struggles and pain, fleshing out of what it means to really follow and live the God of the scriptures. And these people of Israel, they start gravitating towards other gods that surrounded them. And so what Joshua does is he brings all the people together. And in Joshua 24, 14, and 15, he says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, and put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this name who you, who you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's this rousing speech. What happens is they start to put away all their crap idols and they make a covenant to serve their God. 
And you'll see that they are imperfect and they stumble over, over, and over. But God is constantly sending prophets and calling them back to who they were supposed to be. Just like you and I go through our lives and we stumble and fall and God is constantly calling us back to who we were meant to be. He gives the nation of Israel a name. You are a kingdom of priests. Just like he gives you and I a new name. You are children of the living God. See, we must be a people who will choose this day who are going to actually serve with our lives and our energies and our time and our devotion. Will we serve all the idols that we make with our own hands or we produce for TV or stick in our refrigerator or park in our garage or sleep next to at night or feed every morning or root for on the field or shoved in a high-yield money market account? Or will we serve the Lord, the God of Scripture, the only God who knows us and knows us by name and yet loves us anyway and calls us to be who we are supposed to be, the name that we're supposed to be? See, not only this day are we supposed to choose whom we serve, but we must choose who we're going to be. Deep in your soul, what is your name? Who are you? Are you a child of God or are you Steve Johnson? Who are you? See, in Isaiah 62 too, God talks to the nation of Israel and he says, you're going to be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. In Revelation 2.17, it says, I'm going to write on these people a new name. I give you a new name. In Revelation 3.12, same thing. You get a new name. This is the idea that it is God who defines destiny. It is God who made us who we are. And we've got to trust that he made us a certain way for a certain reason. And live that out. Will you be who he created you to be, his child? Will you step into the life that Jesus really has for you? Will you place your hope and your faith in the one who can truly save you and mold you into the person you can actually live up to the name you were given? And that name is child of God. This is what God does through Jacob for the next couple chapters, and it's what he does with us our entire lives calls us to something, gives us the strength to be there and leads and guides us to that place. We are meant to be children of the living God and to live that so the entire world sees it. What is your name? Your name is who God has called you to be and God loves you intimately. This is one of the reasons we come to communion every week. It reminds us that our God has called us, our God has loved us. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, remind us of his blood that was shed for you and I. That we become part of his family. We become his children, heirs according to the promise. The promise is given all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, and it stretched all the way through the end of time. Those promises, because we are his children, and we have been given names as such. The band's going to come up. Now play some songs, and as they do, you are welcome to take communion. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, maybe you know you have never realized that God longs to redeem you and give you a new name. Go and pray with them. There is no better day than today than submit your life to Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've never really thought about that, I invite you to go pray with them as well. You know, understand the whole idea from two weeks ago of birthright to today of this name and what it means. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us that giving is simply then part of our worship. So you have the opportunity to do that every week. And there's also food in the back. And we invite you guys to grab something to eat and meet some other people. Because this journey we take, we take together. We do. Yet God saves us each individually. But, but, he saves us so we live and walk in community together. And so we always want to help you guys to do that. Walking in community together. See, your name, child of God. That's what we are to live. 
That is what is important. Don't run around hoping to be anybody else in the world, but who God made you to be. And embrace that and trust him that he will take you to the places you need to be to live up to that name. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who trust you. Father, who don't run around constantly thinking that you have forgotten us or made a mistake when you made us, but that we actually are a people who are called and known by you. Father, I ask that that as we begin to contemplate this and understand this throughout the coming week, that our hearts become more fully devoted to you and the call you have placed upon our lives. That we would understand that you know our name and you love us deeply in the midst of it. You know everything there is about us and yet you still died and rose for us because you are unbelievably good. So today, how us be a people who trust you in the name you've given and not shrink away from the calling, but embrace it and live and walk the life that you have for us by being fully submitted to you and your will in our lives. And we ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.